Welcome to Sleepless in St. Canard, where the Sadra replaces REM cycles. I'm Kitty. And I'm Ange. We haven't slept. In 30 years. This is a podcast about the 90s Disney cartoon, The Herb Muddlefoot Hour, starring everyone's favorite suburbanite, Herb Muddlefoot, and his much lesser known neighbor, Darkwing Duck. Today is a momentous day for me. Ange, are you feeling the warm glow of muddle-footedness about today's show? The spiritual guidance of multi-level marketing reliance? Can you wear the suit and make the sales to boot? Can we keep up with the rhymes the whole damn time? That's right, neighbors and quackerware owners, it's the day we talk about our lord and savior, Herb Muddlefoot and the Merchant of Menace. Herb, Herb, Before we get Herb, over Herb. To- <laughs> But before we get over to that, I think Ange has some announcements about that other guy. You know, the, the other one. What's his name? The Darkwing fella. Yeah, the Darkwing fella who uh, is getting a comic. And we talked about this previously in the comic coverage series that we did. But they have finally announced who is writing it, who is drawing it. And we have gotten a bunch of variant covers and a couple sneak peeks into the inside pages, which is very exciting. So first and foremost, it is a brand new series, completely blank slate. They're not taking anything, as far as I can tell, from the Boom Studios or Joe Comics. The writer is, I hope I can get her last name right, it's Amanda Diabert. Is that how you pronounce it? Um, I mean, sounds good to me. That's what we're going with. And the artist, the art is by Carlos Sid Loro who is part of Mirka Andolfo's studio. Huh. But uh, Amanda Diabert has quite the, uh, what's the word there? The Resume? Yeah, quite the resume behind her of stuff. She's written for DC Superhero Girls and Wonder Woman, ton of other stuff. So I can see why she was put on this because it's kind of runs in the same vein of you know, that kind of humor, fun, Mm -hmm. cartoony hero stuff. So I have here an article and Kitty and I were talking about it. So they give us a little blurb description about the first issue, which is going to be dropping in January. And there is already pre-orders they are taking for it as of this recording, which is, I guess it's technically November pre-orders, even though it is October still. I don't really know how the comic book industry works, but <laughs> they have seven different variant covers. And uh, but the first issue, it says here on this one of the there was like 50 million comic book news sites that dropped the news at the same time. And they all kind of said the same thing. So mm-hmm. I just I just picked one and they said, so what's Darkwing Duck all about? Issue number one. He is the terror that flaps in the night. He is the ferocious fowl who plucks the evil eye from the face of foul play. He is Darkwing Duck. By night, he vigilantly defends his city of St. Canard from the dastardly devilish demons who would wage wanton war with his trademark costume and gadgets and lurks through the shadows, striking fear in the heart of the criminal underworld. By day, he's known as the mild-mannered... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Drake Mallard father to his adorable adopted daughter, Goslin, Can Darkwing successfully juggle his two separate lives all while looking incredibly cool and impossibly handsome? Readers will have to tune in on January 4th to find out. 
And I'm pretty sure there was an additional blurb I saw somewhere about it starting off with Megavolt showing up. Um, Yeah, something you shared had something to that extent about Megavolt. I forget what the premise was, but I feel like any issue, first issue, having Megavolt in it is a pretty decent start. So it says here... Popular writer Amanda Diabert will write the latest escapades of everyone's favorite foul. Diabert has a range of diverse experience as a writer for television, animation, and comics, including Netflix's He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, Wonder Woman, Star Wars, DC Superhero Girls, and more. Darkwing Duck was huge when I was a kid, and I am thrilled to help introduce the fun, humor, and action-packed mystery to a new generation she says. And then it says she's joined by Italian artist Carlo Sidloro. Loro will be coloring the series himself with Jeff Eckleberry handling the lettering. The first story, subtitled Foul Play, and it's foul as in fiendish organization of world larceny, kicks off a showdown between Darkwing and his dastardly arch nemesis Megavolt. He's taken out everyone's phones, which is pretty cataclysmic outcome for the citizens of St. Canard. Alongside his ally Launchpad McQuack and some unexpected help from Goslin, the squad will take on Megavolt. But the latest escapade makes Mallard question the entire superhero business and consider retiring. How long can he go without metting out justice? And then it goes into uh, all the different covers, because there's several and I saw that they, they made a point of mentioning that they wanted it to be connected with the classic feel of the show, but 100% accessible for new readers. Nice. Best way to go about it, really. Yeah, I agree. And then the only part that made me laugh is it says, Alongside Darkwing Duck, Launchpad McQuack, and Goslin, fans will get to see countless favorite characters in the series. Tune in for possible appearances by Morgana Macabre, Bushroot, Dr. No Good, and more. <laughs> Wasn't Dr. No Good from the DuckTales 1987, I think? I have no memory of that man, so, or woman. I don't even know their gender. I have no memory of them, so, you know, fan favorite, Dr. No Good. Dr. No Good. It would be even funnier if it was Dr. Slug. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, Kitty, what are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are, I, from what you've shown me, um, as far as the artwork and everything, I like it. It seems pretty straightforward. And, I don't know, I'm interested to see where it goes. Stays kind of true to the, the tone of the actual show. That would be awesome. Uh, yeah, it's just exciting to have the possibility of something new and Darkwing and hopefully, like, a our Darkwing back on the scene again. Plenty of comics for us to talk about in the future on the podcast. Yes, hopefully with a lot less of Negaduck being saved by the power of friendship. (laughs) Hopefully. But yeah. How do you feel about this? Um, I have mixed feelings right now because there hasn't been enough information given out. I will say looking at, so they showed the first three pages without any dialogue or context. And mm-hmm. I think the art looks pretty good. It's very clean. Like the line art and everything is very clean and simple. The only thing that I kind of noticed was that I kind of got the impression that a lot of the posing in those pages was heavily referenced from the Darkwing Duck model sheets. Like there was like a mm. couple poses there that were like straight out 
almost identical to some of the poses on his Disney model sheet. But I don't know the context of what's happening without the letter. So for all we know, that could have been intentional. Like he could have been striking a whole bunch of iconic poses because he's in front of an audience. It looks like he's mm. he's standing with uh, the mayor, who is Mayor Zan Owlson from the DuckTales reboot. The Reb- DuckTales reboot, yeah. yeah. The writer confirmed that that is Zan Owlson. So it looks like even a couple DuckTales reboot characters might be showing up. Even though it's... Learn the lines, baby. Yeah, like it's interesting because it it's set in what looks like the 91 universe. Goslin, her design is the 91 version. Launchpad is the 91 version. But I guess they just thought it would be cool to put her in there, which I like because I mm-hmm. liked Zan Owlson. She was, she was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. So he's standing in front of an audience and they're all filming him on their phones and it looks like he's giving a speech of some sort. And he's showing off for the audience. So it's very possible that that it was intentional that he's striking a bunch of poses that look like iconic Darkwing poses. And then we see mm-hmm. him in a couple pages where he's falling off the roof and Launchpad tries to catch him and then gets caught up. And they're both, you know, about to fall off the roof. And Goslin looks very unamused. As she should. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I feel like hopefully or cautiously optimistic. Yeah, that's that's what I would say. Like the writer herself seems pretty, you know, on the ball. She she's very like she had a lot of support when she posted about it on Twitter. I even uh, quote retweeted her just stating that, you know, I'm a longtime fan. And there was a time when we had like a drought where there was no Darkwing Duck anything. So it's really great seeing all this new stuff. And she retweeted me, which was interesting because I was checking the little, you can see how many people have looked at your stuff at a mm-hmm. tweet. And within like the first 10 minutes, like thousand people had looked at what I said. And I was like, oh God, I can feel their eyes on me. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess I should reserve all judgment until I see, see her metal foots. Mm, but, yes. You know. Amanda, we're here. We're listening. We're waiting. Yeah, and I mean Morgana. And, uh, we saw her on one of the covers, so I want to mm-hmm. know. I want to know what they're going to do with Morgana. That's the big, the big mm. question here because of her characterization. It's just it could go anywhere, and I want to know how she'll handle that. Yeah, it's interesting too to have a, a lady at the helm, which you know, hopefully will smooth out a bit of Morgana's uneven writing. Yeah, I am very curious. I don't think, aside from the the cartoon, which had uh, a few ladies writing now and again, we've never had, I don't think, in any of the comics that I've seen. I apologize if there has been, and I'm just not aware of it. Maybe like the Darkwing Duck Disney Adventures or the Disney Afternoon, but... Uh, Was Toy With Me? Toy With Me? No, that was... She just drew it. Yeah, that was Sabrina Alberghetti was the artist, but Ian Brill wrote that one. Gotcha. Okay. Very interesting, but she seems to be getting a lot of support, which is good because I know that a lot of people were still very attached to the Joe Books run and just the overall Aaron Sparrow and James Silvani variation of the characters because it was left off. Like, we haven't gotten to that on the podcast, Kitty, so you don't even know what's happened in the comics. But in the Joe Books run, it was left off on a bit of a cliffhanger with a lot of stuff that was never resolved so some people are kind of wanting to see that but most people i saw were like even the people i saw that were previously like 
no, I'm not interested if it's not going to be a continuation, are all now like, I just bought all seven variants. I have no <laughs> money left. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, well, I also, I feel like this is just setting the stage for her to impress us. So she needs to write in so many tiny ties. <laughs> and I'm listening. And if you out there, listeners, would like to purchase this comic... You can get in contact with your local comic book shop, I suppose. What I discovered, because I haven't actually purchased comics in like 10 years and have not been into a comic book shop in a really long time, there is a website called Previews World. And if you go to Previews World and you make a account, you can, there's a lot of basically worldwide comic book shops that are connected. And you can connect to your local comic book shop through an account on Previews World. And then all the, the stuff that's upcoming, you can pre-order it through this website. And it will go to your comic book shop so that they can call you and let you know when it's available to purchase. Also, Previews Magazine is like the coolest thing ever. Which is where this information, I think, mainly came from. Mm -hmm. yes. um, previews, uh, my father used to get it growing up and it was just the best thing to look through because it shows you all the new comics it shows you all the covers with all the beautiful art but then there's all different toys and everything in there so yeah i was just kind of like oh yeah previews that exists and look darkwing's on the cover good for him good yeah for him. and the covers were very uh we were talking about this before we started recording i had different opinions about each cover because they're all a little different and mm -hmm. you can tell, like, some of these artists probably have never drawn a cartoon duck before, and it's very stylized. And I think most of the uh, most of the covers look cool. I'm pretty picky when it comes to Darkwing and the way he looks in general mm -hmm. for anything. And the two big things that I look for is how his bill is drawn and his body shape, whether or not they keep him kind of his standard upright, I don't know, duck form as opposed to a more jelly bean classic <laughs> ducktails body yeah, and the disney the disney ducks bean body yeah those are the two things i look out for and also just uh his eyes i find like even with merch when they're making merchandise they always mess up his eyes for some reason mm -hmm. yeah he gets a little crazy eye sometimes there is a new statue that I think was just announced or something recently. Yes. That is, uh, you, you probably know off the top of your head. That one looks pretty good. It looks pretty decent. I was still a bit picky about it, um, but I might purchase it eventually. But it's like, it's him standing on, kind of similar to the QMX. It's him standing on a statue and he's holding his cape in, in one of his hands. And it's like, a, you can hang it up got mm. like a little attachments on oh, it oh didn't even notice that oh it's diamond select yes yeah he's just kind of on like a rooftop and his cape is blowing out but he he looks like himself which isn't always the case in the darkwing merchandise i mean i guess to me he looks like himself i think he looks pretty cool very dynamic yeah so i have already pre-ordered all of the covers have you <laughs> yes 
as soon as I found out that it was something I could do online, I went and I made a uh, previews account and I was able to, it turns out my local comic book shop, I have, there's actually a few in my city and they were on the site. So I connected through them and I actually subscribed to it. So I guess that means it'll automatically, every time issues are released, I guess it'll pick them out for me. Which is kind of nice. nice, but I bought yeah. I bought all the variant covers. The only ones I didn't get were the ones that were a hundred dollars and fifty dollars. Yeah, but they are uh, obvious. Yeah, just because I can't really afford it, but also it's the same art as the other ones, just fancier. Like I think one of them is like a metal cover or it's metallic or something like that. But holds as a weapon. Yeah, but the regular. The regular version of that is three ninety nine, so that's the one I went for. <laughs> that price tag. That could also be a weapon. Cut somebody with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, I, I I don't know though. If they if they release a really banging Negadeck cover in the future, I might have to drop the hundred dollars if they charge that much for it. We would expect nothing less from you. <laughs> but yeah, that is. That's what we got right now as of recording this. So keep your eyes peeled, everybody. It looks like January is the first issue dropping, and hopefully I will be able to get it pretty quickly, which means we can talk about it on the podcast when that happens. Darkwing news. And then we got listener mail. Yes. This listener mail just came in today, but it is related to the comics, so I thought it would be appropriate to read it now while we're still talking about comics. It is from our regular listener and regular writer in her, right as Rainy. Hello, Rainy. Hello, Rainy. And it says, Dear Ange and Kitty, how are you? I hope you're both doing well. You deserve it. Congratulations on making it through the Boom Studios comics. You made it. Not that it wasn't a lot of fun, because I know Kitty was enjoying the normal size ties and missed opportunities for puns so much. Oh, no. <laughs> and Ange loved all the random baseball and American politics. <laughs> uh, something for everyone. Something for everyone. Now that we've been through the boom story and all of the good, the bad, and the ugly that went with those stories, I have a few questions for you. You talked a lot about missed opportunities in the comics, like how they could have used already existing characters and more universe-accurate hijinks, different ways that you would have preferred for the storylines to flow, things like that. But if the comics were up to you, what stories would you have liked to tell? What kind of arcs would we get from a hypothetical Sleepless in St. Canard Studios run? Any plot lines, characters, or dynamics, etc. I would love to know how you would have approached a Darkwing comic story. And in the vein of comics, the new Dynamite run of Darkwing was announced recently. What are your hopes and expectations for that run? Will you be covering them on the podcast as they are released? Or will you wait until arcs are finished before reading and then decide if you'll include them in the podcast? Or if it's TBD, that's okay too. Bonus question, what would you think of a Darkwing Duck movie? Not like the Rescue Rangers movie, please. I hope this kind of movie never happens again. <laughs> Given that a lot of Darkwing's appeal comes from the range of his adventures, sci-fi to fantastical, action, espionage, and slice of life, how do you think he would do in a film? Some mediums work well with some stories and others not so much. So I'd love to hear what you think 
And if you do think a Darkwing film would work, what kind of story, sci-fi, fantastical, etc. do you think would work best for it? Thank you so much, as always, for the show and giving me something Darkwing to look forward to. I love getting to hear your thoughts and sharing in the joy of the show with you and everyone who listens and interacts with the podcast. And thank you for putting up with my mammoth emails. I appreciate you both so much. You're awesome. You're awesome, Rainy. You are awesome. Uh, and it is absolutely a pleasure to sit here and talk about ducks because even if this microphone wasn't in front of my face right now. This is this is literally what we would be doing. Now we could share it with other people. And you know what? It, like, I don't understand how we've made so many of these so far. It doesn't feel like we've done as many as we actually have. But it, for me, it's just um, to talk to my friend once a week. And I sometimes forget that other people do listen to this. <laughs> me too. Yeah, I'm glad that you guys enjoy it. <laughs> um, as far as the questions go, so the first thing that sticks out in my mind, though, is I, I, I might be crazy and you might come at me with a pitchfork, but I feel like if they did a Darkwing movie, basically just forget that the Rescue Rangers movie happened the way it did and did it as a Darkwing movie, it may have worked better. Because, hmm. like, you know, Darkwing had his heyday and then fell out of fame then has to like reclaim the mantle type thing it not have been so bad and we all know that he was the best part of that movie anyway <laughs> yeah but that would also assume which in my book if darkwing ever has fame you're doing it wrong so Darkwing always has to be the butt of the joke mm-hmm. even when he should be praised he's still like you know, he'll do something amazing and then the news will cut away to a, a water skiing squirrel or something <laughs> Wait, something more important is happening right now. There's live footage of this puppy licking an ice cream cone. <laughs> but, yeah, I, you know, I feel like it really depends. Like, we obviously don't want a grim, dark, darkwing movie. Like, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, diff- it's tricky. Because I feel like it really the only way that I could have been on board with the darkwing movie and not been, you know, my old dejected and um kind of burned too many times self is if it did come out when i was a kid because mm-hmm. i feel like if a darkwing movie came out when i was a kid it wouldn't have mattered i would have loved it and then you know like the ducktales movie was so good so i felt like they're you know they could have done something interesting with it it would have just been like a long episode of the show but it still would have been fresh i guess in the you know the kids minds that they didn't need an origin story movie but yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's also so tempting um, to throw all of the interesting villains in one movie, which I feel like the Batman movies have struggled with quite a lot in all of their iterations. It would have to be narrowed down to a villain would be a good villain for the movie and not get too greedy with the rogues gallery. What do you think, Ange? I've had so many thoughts over the years about both the comics and the movies and stuff, like what I would do. And don't come for me, people, but I think that Darkwing Duck would actually work really well, at least uh, in a big movie, as CGI. Specifically, mm. when I, th- I think of, for some reason, the first movie that comes to mind is Big Hero 6, which I saw in theaters. Okay. And it was kind of, you know, it was cartoony. It had, like, superhero stuff in it. I feel like 
animation and specifically CGI has reached the point where they can capture the fun, bouncy cartooniness of 2D animation in a higher quality. Like, it depends. Like, TV shows that are CGI are hit and miss because they're on a smaller budget, so sometimes it doesn't look as great. But if we're talking Mm. about a theatrical release, a full-length Darkwing Duck movie where, you know, they have a huge budget, I think they could do something really fun that is CGI animated, nothing too hyper-realistic or, you know, uncanny valley, still cartoony, still has all the squash and stretch and, you know, tune physics and everything. Release that in theaters, and I would do a retelling. doesn't have to be a retelling of Darkly Dawn's The Duck. I, I would update it for this generation and this time, like this, I don't know, roughly 2022 era and when i think of darkwing in particular i think what would have been interesting is the one thing i i I never quite got about you know the original version of darkwing is that he went from being this like bachelor loner guy who like lives in a tower and has no friends or family and he he stepped into the father role immediately naturally Mm -hmm. He, there was no struggles. There was nothing. It was just he was he was Goslin's dad, and there was nothing really addressed about that. So, I think it would be interesting if instead, when Goslin meets him, he's now a millennial because we have reached the point where millennials are adults now in their thirties and their twenties. <laughs> so he's a millennial, but instead of being more like the responsible, you know, had a had a regiment in the morning, never forgets the milk. He's very sloppy and hasn't doesn't really know how to take care of himself. And he's kind of every other millennial who's just trying their best to be an adult and failing miserably because, you know, the economy sucks and there's not a whole lot of jobs and there's a lot of, you know, stuff going on that makes it difficult to be an adult. And I think that would... Certainly could not afford the house on Avian Way, that's for sure. No, no. I could see him, like, bumming off Wi-Fi as he's he's in this tower because the Wi-Fi is the strongest there, and he's just, you know, squatting there, essentially. So when he meets meets Goslin, there's more of a struggle where he's helping this girl, and he's like, I have this small child under my care, and I can barely take care of myself. And then through that, they would both learn together how to care for each other, and how to form a family and he would learn to become a bit more responsible through you know suddenly acquiring a child and I don't even know how that would work you'd have to do some suspension of disbelief because I feel like some random guy with no like history of existing that we know of just shows up and tries to adopt a child is probably not going to be able to do that Launchpad is actually a, an expert forger and just forges all the adoption documents <laughs> Oh my god, I can see it. You took a crash course in forgery. Yeah, like I'm I'm getting a little off <laughs> off topic here, but I guess what I'm saying is for me a perfect so it would have to be a couple different movies because I I would not be able to fit everything into one movie, but the first movie would be establishing Darkwing, meeting Goslin and Launchpad, and then there'd be at least one villain that gets a villain origin through that movie, and I'd pick one of the fearsome 5 maybe Bushroot or Quackerjack or just one of the characters has like some kind of background where he's introduced and then, you know. It, it could work really nicely with Quackerjack since, you know, Goslin's a little kid. 
It would flow with the narrative already being set. Yeah, and you could really, I mean, you just, you bring that in. I don't know, like Taurus Balba, I feel like he's kind of iconic and he really starts it. But I feel like telling a direct retelling of Darkly Dawns Dawns. would be kind Mm -hmm. of boring because it's already good. Darkly Dawns is already perfect. It doesn't need to be rehashed or remade. So Well, it is missing the muddlefoots, but other than that. Well, that the Muddlefoots would show up at the end of the movie too. They'd be introduced. so they're the after credits scene. Yeah, or, or they're they're mid they're mid credits, <laughs> and then Morgana is after credits. Yeah. The after credits would probably be a Negaduck hint that he's hmm. watching from afar or something like that. And then the next movie would be the Fearsome Five or something. <laughs> he's in the garbage can across the street. <laughs> he just pops the lid open. <laughs> I would introduce at least one villain in the first movie with an origin, maybe even Megavolt. I don't know. One of the Fearsome Five, I think, would be perfect. And then at the end of the movie, the, whichever character it is gets mysteriously dragged away or ends up, you know, talking to a character off screen who is obviously Negaduck or something like that. And then the next movie, the sequel, would be the appearance of the Fearsome Five. And then he'd meet Morgana. And Morgana's villain, you know, story would be longer at least in a movie not so much but if it were a tv show i would drag her out being a villain much longer but for the purposes of a movie i would have morgana show up with the fearsome five working with negaduck and then obviously at by the end of the movie she switches over and she helps darkwing and the gang because she realizes that negaduck is crazy and violent and will murder a child and she's not okay with that okay and then as far as the comic goes, I would have at least one issue dedicated to the Muddlefoots. Of course you would. Of and then would. there would have to be, uh, there would be a lot of Darkwing and Gizmoduck adventures. Mm-hmm. Because as as I've realized watching this episode today, and I will talk about it later, Darkwing and uh, Gizmoduck, their relationship pretty exactly mirrors Herb and Darkwing. It does. Yeah. So maybe I'm just a sucker for that dynamic like one is the dynamic of his superhero life and the other is the dynamic of his personal life you put them both in a room together and Darkwing will explode <laughs> similarly the question about the comics kind of the same vein as a movie except more dragged out because you have more issues to I mean you would presumably have a bunch of issues to play with so you could slowly unfold things it also be fun to do like a throwback do like Darkwing Year Zero and say Drake trying to figure everything out by himself yeah even if it's just like a single arc like a you know this is what could have and then of course it could just be completely on Cadden because that's a Darkwing Duck way there's there's a lot to think about there and in my world where I run Disney now there would be the the- <laughs> there would be the theatrical release of this big massive movie and it would be treated and advertised similarly to any Disney movie that has come out that's like a really big movie in theaters and then after that there would be the spin-off cartoon which would be 2D animated and you know just continue for as long as I decree it so because I'm the boss in this world and nobody can stop me that's it. You're the megalomaniac in charge of all animation. Exactly. As is your right. So it just, your your vision of a Darkwing movie just makes me think of the Mario Brothers trailer, but just mute it. <laughs> Unless you want Darkwing to be voiced by Chris Pratt. I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. Anything else? Did we miss any questions there? I feel like we kind of, we kind of covered everything all at once by jumping through all of those things. But yes, thank you for all those questions. We're going to continue also, uh, because Rainey had asked about covering the comics on the podcast. Oh, yeah, right. I feel like I'm going to use you as my barometer for that, because even though I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm interested in them, I'm going to tell you right now, I probably will not read them, because I'm the worst. So, if you want to buy them and then read them to me? Yeah, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) We could do a a live read of, I don't know if that's that's fair to whoever wrote them, um, or, you know, whoever is making them, because you know, the Boom comics have been out forever. Maybe we shouldn't do a blow-by-blow on new property coming out. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll trust your judgment, Ange. I definitely would like to cover the first one as soon as it comes out, just because it's going to be fresh and new and exciting, and I want to really, you know, get those first impressions. vibrating off your chair to talk about it. Yes, exactly. So I think we will go issue by issue. And just as they're released, because if they're released monthly, and I mean, technically, we record weekly, it doesn't always happen. (laughs) It doesn't always get released weekly. But it would probably be in between other episodes of the podcast. Okay. Again, I trust you with my life. For now, let's get to last but not least, saving the best for last. Our Herb Muddlefoot episode. Also known as Kitty is eating good tonight, baby. <laughs> I told you I watched this one not that long. I mean, I don't know how long ago I watched it, but I remembered most of it. But when I was watching it, I was thinking about you the entire time. There were so many parts in this where I was like, oh my God, that's Kitty. That's actually her. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, th- I thought the same thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't know the last time I had watched this episode. But I I was having a real rough day at work. And I usually don't take a lunch break because I'm so busy. But yesterday, I was like, this, I'm going to lunch. And I went to lunch and I sat in the parking lot of, the, of Panera eating my soup. And just watched it, and like I could feel like the serotonin surging through my body. So thank you, Herb Muddlefoot, for all of your, your herbness. But yeah, so if you want to watch this episode uh, and feel the surge of joy through you, it is on Disney Plus. It's season one, episode seventy-four, and the blurb is: Darkwing is forced to team up with Agent Grizzlykoff, which is not entirely accurate. This is not another Drake cough romp. Grizzly cough is treated more like an impending doom of the episode that he- they keep trying to avoid. He's the it follows of secret Asian <laughs> Russian bears in ice cream trucks. And he's just kind of there. Like, he's not really a big part of the episode on the whole. No, he's really not. And for most of it, too, Launchpad's not even in it. It's purely just like Drake and Herb show. Today. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a okay by me. Yeah, it works. Yeah, I I thought it. I mean, I I don't know. I feel like I could be a little biased, but I really enjoyed this episode. <laughs> so we open up with uh, domestic bros, Launchpad and Darkwing taking out their trash, <laughs> and it, quite literally, it is garbage bags. As Drake talks about how perfect their life is because they can escape the dullness of suburban life with their crime fighting identities and that neighbors can't bother them except the king of avian way himself herb makes an announcement and they jump into a bush to hide from him 
um, because he's in quackerware selling mode. Which is true, because Herb is in his business suit. Do you know he really means business? But the evasive maneuvers do not fool our light and love Herb, as he can smell a consumer a mile away and promptly starts pitching his products to to Drake and Launchpad. Herb's in his quackerware selling mode, and I can't stand the way he says, Hey, neighbor! Oh, the joys of adjoining yards. This is our biggest seller, Model Q-7301, but I call it Buddy. What is this, career day at kindergarten? Oh my gosh, the flash crack. Yeah, he shows the bros his best-selling quackerware bowl, which he has dubbed Buddy. Drake is somehow not instantly impressed and asks, what is this, career day at kindergarten? (laughs) He is so salty and then he just takes like a turn halfway through this episode which is pretty great too Uh, but we'll talk about that when we get there but there's also a lot of fourth wall breaking in this episode which i usually enjoy um so yeah drake is talking to us directly quite a bit and he is drake himself is pretty top-notch this episode i must say Mm -hmm. um muddle footing aside we get to see it like a few different shades of him and i think it gets to shine quite a bit outside of the Darkwing parts too. Like we get to see like a lot of Drake in this. He gets to be completely irritated by Herb, just Herb just as existing, basically. But he also gets super into selling Quackerware, which we'll get to. But overall I just really liked him in this episode. It's a different shade of the same kind of relationship he and Gizmodek have that I mentioned earlier. Um so maybe I, that's I, I'm coming to the realization today that maybe that's why I, I just love them so much because Herb is so just joyfully ignorant of drake's hatred of him and it's funny it's just really funny you know what do you think of drake in this episode like i actually found him to be quite likable and i thought it was kind of sweet because there's points in it where he clearly he doesn't like herb but he's not he doesn't have any vicious intentions towards him and when it comes down to it he will actually you know step up and protect him yeah he was because there's certain episodes where drake is just awful he's just such a jerk he's pretty good in this one like there's a few digs that he takes at her because of course he does but he's i just found him very endearing in this episode too and you get to see it like a little bit of vulnerability in him too which is interesting we'll get to all this mm-hmm. um anyway herb's little buddy he's He's doing his whole shtick there, like, you know, trying to sell it to him. And a flash quack shows up and Drake catches, like, he leaps up onto Herb's shoulders like he's a little kid, like, trying to see the fireworks on the 4th of July. (laughs) And catches it in Buddy in the little bowl. And he starts to deflect any confusion Herb might have. But his head looks exactly like his bowl. And (laughs) and it's the the nicest compliment that Herb has ever gotten, I guess. (laughs) So, desperate to get away, Drake winds up buying into Herb's upsells and gets back inside to check the the flash quack. We don't really know what it says because the next thing we see is him just poofing into Shush headquarters. And we actually do not get a full I am a terror that flaps in the night in this episode. Hmm. He, gets, he starts it here, but then he doesn't finish it because Jake Anderhooter is having the weirdest day of his life. 
he he just is not paying attention to Darkwing, which is very strange for me. He's like a little zombie in the, in this one scene that he's in. He's only in this one scene. He's uh, he opens his eyes, I think, like twice. He's yeah. just got his eyes. <laughs> Jake Andrew is having a bad day. He's just like, I just, I just need you guys to not. So he just seems very broken this episode because um, Darkwing is doing his I'm the terror and he just like is walking into the next room. He's like, you never cease to amaze me. And he just goes on to talk about how he need he needs him to team up team like he has a mission for him. And before he can even finish the thought that he needs him to team up with Grizzly Cough, Darkwing cuts him off and starts talking shit about Grizzly Cough. <laughs> and Jay Gander just like reins them in with talking about business. He should, he's also wearing his business suit. It's not as nice as Herb's. Or he wants them to catch a notorious jewel thief who's operating in St. Canard, who's disguising himself as a quackerware salesman. And he hands them a picture of, oh no, it's Herb! <laughs> and what's this foul fiend's fetish? A quackerware salesman. Quackerware? A brilliant cover. Look. Herb! There's a mistake here, Jake Ander. Herb Muddlefoot is not your man. I refuse to take this case. You won't take the case? Well, uh, you're not one of our agents, so technically I can't make you take it. <laughs> you certainly can't. Agent Grizzlykov, I now officially turn this case over to you. A lot of people have pictures of Herb in this episode. It's true. It's It's pretty funny. Because with a few exceptions, it's all different pictures. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he's just, the camera loves him. He hands him this picture of Herb, and surprisingly, at least to me, Darkwing immediately launches it to Herb's defense. Uh, maybe just because he knows that Herb does not have, uh, shall we say, the mental fortitude to be a master criminal. But seeing as how he nearly let the Grim Reaper drag him away in his place in Deg that duck i was happy to see drake defend the sweetest of all angels and refuses to take the case uh, and jig ender is just like oh okay grizzly cough and handle it <laughs> and grizzly cough just straight up woke up wanted to murder a man today <laughs> just, just has a gun and yeah. he's like i'll take care of it <laughs> and drake, drake is like no you cannot I have the right to bear arms right now and he claims that he is the exotic villains expert which I don't know that I've ever heard that before but maybe that is his role in Shush. Do you remember anything else about him being declared as the exotic villains expert? Darkwing or Grizzly Cough? Darkwing. No I usually they just mention him as being like an off the books free agent who does consultant or something. Yeah he does his own thing for them Mm. That would make a lot of sense to me if he was considered the ex exotic villains expert that they call in on weird ones. But anyway, yeah, he demands that they drop the case entirely and grabs, Zikoff grabs the gun back and continues to talk about how, uh, how he's going to murder <laughs> the love of my life. And Drake decides that he has to protect Herb and will achieve this by joining Herb in the Quackerware trade. So he shows up to the Muddlefoot house and Herb is just amazed to learn that Darkwing wants to know about Quackerware and immediately takes him under his wing, ushering him into his house where he has a mountain of plastic containers in his living room. And there are a lot of rhymes in this episode. Mm -hmm. I tried to write them all down. So the first one is, you're a millionaire with Quackerware. And then we cut to, dun dun dun, uh, Herb with eyebrows. 
delivering some quackerware to a woman. And we are soon shown that this is not our sweet, gentle green bean of a man. And that is a jewel thief. As the merchandise he drops off sprouts legs and sucks up all the valuables in the house, making little noises that sound like herb. 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 To me. Herb. Herb. But they could just supposed to be like, I think it might also just, they're supposed to be making that little Tupperware burp oh. sound. Was Tupperware a big thing anywhere else? Was like, did you guys have like Tupperware parties in Canada and all that? I think we did, actually. Uh, I personally did not attend any of these parties, but Tupperware was <laughs> always, you know, around and was a thing. Yeah. Like, my mom had a couple, like, there was a couple Tupperware parties, and that was always, like, the big thing was, like, you know it's sealed if it looks out a little burp. So I'm <laughs> wondering if that's what it was. But it, it honestly, it sounds like they're saying herb, but that could just be me projecting on them. No, I heard, I heard it is herb, too. Turning ordinary quackerware into thieving robotic slaves is Weasel Loman's success of a century! I just need more raw material. So they're his biggest fans as well, mm-hmm. which, as they should be. So our evil person this episode is a sort of Richard Nixon impression <laughs> guy who's a weasel. His name is Weasel Loman, which is a play on Willie Loman from the play Death of a Salesman. And oh. he's just like a Weasley dog-faced guy, pointy teeth. He's wearing a very good herb mask, and um, he also does a pretty decent herb impression. <laughs> a trashy herb. <laughs> he is a trashy herb but like his his voice like yeah, he does a very yeah. good herb, herb impression vo- vocally but yeah we, he is a disgraced quackerware salesman who somehow figured out how to make quackerware in alive <laughs> he says robots but then he just kind of like talks about mutating them so he's he's using the magical art of uh, to make quackerware evil and want to steal things for him but he needs access to more quackerware, corrupt it, which I don't really understand because the quackerware always comes back to him. Maybe he just wants more so that he can have them out and he doesn't have to keep using the same set. I don't know. He doesn't really elaborate too much. He just does his whole Richard Dixon thing for a little bit. But he also has a picture of Herb. <laughs> so everybody pins them up by their, their heart. It's, um, you remember Hark a Vagrant? That Kate Beaton was like the web comic. Yes, yes. And- if forget who it was i think it was i don't know i think it was just random characters and it was nemesis and they're like fight sword fighting and it was revealed that both of them have like little lockets with the picture of their nemesis in it yeah. around their neck that's that's this guy and her <laughs> perfect <laughs> meanwhile back with the real deal is giving drake and launchpad a stirring presentation he has a transforming suitcase that turns into a full like display cabinet that has some of his uh quackerware in it uh, he shows Drake the key around his neck to where he keeps the rest of his stock. I wonder if that will come in later. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, and then we get another rhyme. Like a second home to me is the Quackerware factory. The the bane of Drake's existence, other than Herb Muddlefoot, is the Quackerware bowl itself, which has like a little button on the bottom that I guess you would use to break the seal so you can open it. And there's a little rhyme we learn about this. It's summer, winter, spring, or autumn, press the button on the bottom. And the lid flies off and hits Drake in the face. He's also told to dress, that you have to dress for success. Drake just stares at the camera and he's like, yes, I chose to be here. <laughs> he's, he's not enjoying himself, but he's, you know, very kind-heartedly making sure that no one comes for, for her. So I'll take it. 
and Herb is telling him that to be a quackerware salesman, he has to be like a secret agent and he has to wear a suit. So he gives him a hilariously oversized suit that is one of his own, slaps a hat on his head and he's just so excited. He's so excited that Drake is interested and then he throws his, you know, transforming briefcase at him and Drake gets crushed and looks completely miserable by everything. And then he starts a slideshow. Hmm. <laughs> Back when they were actually like projectors and you had to have like film slides in them. Rule number one is you got to know your product. Rule number two is you got to know the territory, which is a Music Man reference. I appreciate any and all Music Man references. So my hat's off to you, writer of this episode. And then the next slide is a photo of Herb with a trophy. And Launchpad asks what it is. Uh, what's that, Herb? Oh, nothing. That's me winning the Salesman of the Year award. I don't know how that got in there. Salesman of the Year? Herb must have a pretty good product here. Another Salesman of the Year? Uh, no, no, no. That's Salesman of the... Decade. Decade? Well, just one decade. And then the next slide is Herb with a giant trophy. <laughs> Huge. It's like taller than he is. And Launchpad's like, oh, another salesman of the year. And Herb is so, sh like, shy. He's just kind of, like, looking down and, like, wringing his hands. He's like, oh, no, that one's just for a salesman of the decade. He's so bashful. It's cute. He is. And the two both of them are like, the decade? And he's like, well, it's just one decade. <laughs> and then Launchpad rushes over to him. And he's like, oh, you're a real hero. <laughs> Uh, spoken like a true Grouge McDuck employee brainwashed to the, the king of capitalism. That's just so funny. And now Drake is super motivated to start selling quackerware. And who, Herb is super excited that he's super motivated and tells him that a salesman's zeal is the airtight seal on a quackerware deal and hugs him <laughs> and then just randomly throws him <laughs> for no reason. He lands in the quackerware pile and that's that's how that scene ends. Mm -hmm. And then he takes Drake along with him on his sales route. And the lady that answered the door gives the only appropriate response to her being at her door. And then I wrote here, is this character me? Yes. Yes, it is you. <laughs> because she is completely starstruck. Good day, madam. Muddlefoot here, Herb Muddlefoot. Let me introduce the Crackerware brand, the favorite. Oh, Herb Muddlefoot, my stars! Really, everybody knows who you are. Whatever you've got, I'll take it. I'll take it. Oh, wait till I tell my friend Doris that Herb Muddlefoot was here. Wow, Herb Muddlefoot's got groupies. And offers to buy everything he has, and talks about how her friend is going to be so jealous. And Drake is suddenly aware that he lives in a world where there are Herb Muddlefoot groupies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the jingling of bells alerts Drake to the sinister ice cream truck that is being <laughs> that is pulled up outside this house as Grizzly Cough, one bear murder machine shows up. The ice, the Duke of door-to-door -door sales. And... Uh, I'm really wondering why it's like... It's like sleigh bells every time this ice cream truck drives by like it's a little weird but you know what that's what we got so he tries to shoot herb and drake protects him by knocking him into a garbage can and he then gets avoids getting a plunger shot into him and herb rolls down the street in the garbage can and grizzly cough somehow gets plunged to a passing truck 
and hauls off after it. Drake then retrieves Herb from the trash because treasures do not belong in the <laughs> landfill and apologizes to him. But Herb, ever the optimist, declares, you can shake it, but you just can't break it. And Beautiful. Drake, I think, face palms as hard as he possibly can. The next house that they go to, Drake wants to be tagged in. And with some sage advice of quackerware, we'll take you there. We get to see Drake in his seriously oversized suit attempt to be a normal person. Do you know what this reminds me of? No, you wouldn't know this because this is a childhood thing. Okay. This, I I was trying to figure it out because this kept triggering some sort of like deep-seated childhood memory for me. So my dad was a mailman, like a, a letter carrier. And mm-hmm. he brought me along to one of those like bring your kids to work day things. And he had me put on like one of his mailman uniforms. Oh. I was like, <laughs> I was like eight, eight years old. So just like Drake, it was like weirdly massive on me. And then like, he let me go up to the, the houses and deliver the mail. And he also did businesses. So I had to go into like the receptionist and give them the mail. And mm-hmm. <laughs> just remind, like Drake in the oversized suit trying to do this. I was like, oh, this kind of feels like me when I was a child. <laughs> I feel seen. This is bringing up deep-seated trauma for me. <laughs> oh, so little pseudo Ange slash Drake is trying to, to talk to this woman. He drops the heavy briefcase on her foot and then it explodes on him. She's overall not very impressed, uh, but asks him to show her how the quackerware works. And of course, he can't get it open because he forgot the beautiful little rhyme that Herb taught him. But the lady, obviously smarter than Drake, presses the little button <laughs> on the bottom of it and it hits Drake like a cannonball and he goes flying. He just flies out of the yard. And Herb finds him in some bushes. And before he can say anything, fumbles through just a weird mix of all of the little rhymes that he's heard so far. And starts begging Herb to let him try the next one. So eager to, like, prove himself. <laughs> so he's just, like, desperate to, to be good at it. And it's, it's kind of sweet. And Herb agrees because he's the best. And he just tells him, if you get stuck, remember to call me for help. And somehow... <laughs> Somehow Drake is even more terrible the next house that he goes to. He can't even get through his name. He's just too nervous. He's just too in his own head and he's screwing everything up. And the woman isn't impressed and turns to go back inside and he literally puts his foot in the door and gets it smashed. (laughs) And that's it for that lady. And then we see her putting a cast on his leg as Drake laments his lousy salesmanship as not Herb. Herb with the eyebrows looks on hiding behind some trees and Herb knows what just to do to cheer Drake up and he whips out the quacker bear cheer mm. my favorite <laughs> which he does a whole routine to Drake old pal here's something to help you out the quacker bear cheer like the hundred legs on a centipede, we move forward in a great stampede even the other guys must concede quacker bear salesmen are a special breed I never knew you were so talented, Herb. Muddlefoot has a new apprentice. He never let me be his apprentice. He's laying on the ground, like swinging his arms and legs around like he's a centipede. And then he's crawling around the bench that Drake is sitting on. And he just kind of pops up and does a little bit of a Captain Morgan pose on the, the bench to finish it all off. And Drake admits that he never knew that Herb was so talented. <laughs> 
it's just and it's funny because you forget too that basically 90 percent of this episode is just jim cummings talking to himself it is i always forget that jim cummings is also herb muddlefoot which is <laughs> pretty impressive i gotta say mm-hmm. Just I, I do like the role reversal here where Drake is the one that is kind of out of his element and he has to rely on mm-hmm. someone he normally doesn't respect at all. And it's like his respect in this sphere for Herb just seems to rise. Like he he's actually impressed at certain points at like Yeah. It seems like he just every time that something else happens, he just gets a little bit more respect for Herb, which I'm sure doesn't last through the night. But in this particular episode, he's not being too cross with him. He's not trying to ditch him. Like, he's still kind of like, oh, my God, you're so weird. But he definitely sees that Herb is successful and that people like him, which also could speak to Darkwing wanting to be successful and, like, you know, have his own groupies, which he doesn't. Mm-hmm. So Herb would definitely teach him the ways of how to be popular with the housewives sounds scandalous <laughs> he would never i was gonna say herb baby. herb is so loyal to binky he would never oh imagine if this is how he met binky actually that would make a lot of sense door to door sales he showed up to sell her some bowls and instead she stole his heart and then she just keeps calling him back for more product just so she can see him again oh that would be such a cute love story i i would you know what i hope if the comics or the cartoons ever meet do the model foots i'd love to see a flashback to how they met so and then we already know what their first date was like it was they were dancing but Vicky's house she can't even get out of it properly because there's so much quacker wear inside that it's like a landslide every time she moves i like it i like it let's uh let's put it down let's mail it to the imaginary desk of Ange, the head of disney and <laughs> meant it in stone so the weasel guy is rightfully jealous as he peers around some trees watching this whole exchange happen that drake is herb's apprentice and he mostly just wants the quackerware samples that are in this transforming briefcase and he makes a a crank call of someone unhappy with their quackerware purchase to herb who has a dedicated beeper just for phone calls herb as he answers the phone also Gives us the groundwork that there's never a complainer with a quackerware container. Herb Muddlefoot here. There's never a complainer with a quackerware container. Oh, who am I speaking to? Oh, this is Mrs. John Q. Public, and I'm a complainer. I don't like my quackerware. I demand a refund now. Oh, no. Uh, uh, this is horrible. Uh, quick, uh, give me your address, ma'am. So he's very distressed to hear that somebody wants a refund and rushes off to right this grave, grave wrong, telling Drake to stick to the route, keep the samples, and he'll pick them up in a few blocks. And we also see that Herb drives a hot rod. <laughs> like, Herb is making bank doing quackerware sales. So that could also be a incentive for Drake to stick around. The king of multi-level marketing here, Herb Muddlefoot. So yeah, Drake is left with the samples and declares that he'll sell the quackerware if it kills him, under the impression that if Herb can succeed doing this, what can he Drake's motivations. Weasel in his herb disguise sneaks up on him and steals the samples. But Grizzly Gaff is back and delighted as ever as he tries to murder him and just straight up shoots a bomb mm-hmm. at them this time. Just as Loman grabs the samples, Drake gets hit with the bomb and it gets blown up and 
course he's fine because he's Drake. And but then he chases down who he thinks is Herb, begging for another chance. Grizzlykoff notes that Muddlefoot has an Acropolis <laughs> instead of accomplice. And is happy to kill two birds with one stone and starts chasing them down. Grizzlykoff like is just for a secret agent, he's really not being subtle, just busting out guns in the middle of a suburban neighborhood, no. trying to murder two salesmen. No, he's really not. And Drake distracts him and lures him into jumping into a sewer, which buys them some time. Yeah, Grizzlykoff is, is ranking zero out of zero on the secret agent scale, even if he is driving around in a jingling ice cream truck. Still throwing bombs at salesmen on the street. So Loman as Herb goes back to his lair, convert the regular quackware he just stole into his robot mutated sentient herb-loving versions and then paints them gold so that he can sell them to rich people herb gets to the address where the unhappy customer allegedly is and he's just standing in the middle of the desert <laughs> oh poor herb poor, poor herb but you know what that means it really is never a complainer about a quacker rare container mm-hmm mm-hmm Drake catches up to Loman in his herb disguise and tells him, I never thought I'd say this, but you're a real pro when he sees that he's itching back around to these rich people. And yeah, again, just this weasel guy does a really good herb impression. He, It's also just another feather in the cap of Jim Cummings that he is now doing somebody doing a herb impression <laughs> because he doesn't sound exactly like herb. Sometimes he sounds exactly like Herb, but other times you could tell it's not Herb. He's ruder but... and just like really short and in a rush. Yeah. Herb is a salesman who truly loves what he's doing, but this version of Herb, you can tell he he doesn't give any any Fs about what he's actually doing. And it's just, I don't know, Jim Cummings is good at doing that. <laughs> he is. You know, Herb, I never thought I'd say this. But you are a pro. Ha! You know it, kid. Stick with me and we'll swing into some high gear, Salad. Yes. Hey, you should buy some Quackerware, pal. It's real good, see? Uh, so a snooty butler answers the door and imposter Herb is like, hey, you should buy this stuff. It's real great. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> is the sales pitch. And the butler's not impressed until he sees that it's gold Ooh. and is immediately on board. Uh, Drake wonders at why he didn't see the gold quackerware in the catalog, and the faker sends him to the next house so he can collect the jewels from the quackerware thieves. Herb gets back, for the real Herb gets back with some sweet, sweet driving skills and asks Drake what he's doing on the street. And Drake is like, oh, I came here with you. And then, oh no! Deceiver is revealed. Herb is outraged that whoever he is, he's selling fake quackerware, and he is furious you get to see her muddlefoot go through the whole range of emotions he is boiling hot and completely comes down on this guy like the wrath of god and rips up a lawn to trip him so he <laughs> and he tries to yank him back to his feet and pulls the mask off and then he recognizes who's underneath and he is very, very angry. And he tells this guy that he's a disgrace to the Quackerware Corps, a stain on the bowl of life. <laughs> and then this guy, he starts talking shit about Quackerware being an inferior product. And now Herb is really mad. 
That's Weasel Loman. Yes, that's right, Muddlefoot. He was a disgrace to the Quackerware Corps. Uh, a stain on the bowl of life. Well, listen to the Boy Scout. Quackerware's a tenth-rate product that took me to realize it's true potential. You can disgrace yourself. And you can disgrace me, Weasel. But when you start messing with Quackerware, that's it for old Herb Muddlefoot. Come on! As he's doing this, like, he says, come on, like, really aggressively, they start playing, like, the funeral dirge. <laughs> like, he's gonna <laughs> kill... It's like... Like, Herb is going to murder this man. <laughs> and they start sumo wrestling on this rich guy's front lawn. And, of course, now Chris's jingling ice cream truck rolls up again, and Drake is like, oh, Grizzly Cough's here, and he climbs into a tree... Changed into Darkwing and then chainsaws his way out of the like the bottom of the trunk for no reason. (laughs) No reason. Grizz just immediately blows his cover to run across the street and yell at Darkwing for working on his case. And uh, Weasel books it. But in this whole thing here, Grizzlykoff sees that Herb is actually the innocent angel that we know he is. And he drives off after Loman with Darkwing tagging along. Herb, meanwhile, chases the rogue quackerware creatures as the car chase uh, starts to ramp up. And Grizzlykoff tries to shoot Loman's car with a freeze ray and misses. Then Darkwing is like, oh, let me do it. And then shoots the road. And then the, the ice cream truck goes skidding off into oblivion. And Darkwing crashes somehow onto Loman's car. And we get our second almost I am the terror that flaps in the night. Because he gets to I am the terror that flaps in. And then he squishes uh, against the windshield and says, your windshield. (laughs) And then he somehow falls off the roof of the car down a cliff. Yeah. And then just like two seconds later, Loman is driving right past him. And he doesn't get run over. He's just somehow randomly climbing into the back of the van at Loman's driving. And, but he's just driving through suburbia. I'm like, well, oh, just random cliff in the middle of suburbia. But yeah, they get back to a warehouse with like a full line of little quackerware, herb, 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 herb things walking into it and uh, gloating to his little quackerware guys as he's counting. He's just got a giant pile of loot sitting there. And uh, he starts gloating about how much more money he's going to make. And Darkwing just announces himself and is standing on top of the van telling him that he's going to arrest him for all these terrible, terrible crimes, but the worst of all being doing a bad Herb impression. And Loman's like, I thought I was pretty good. He was so and insulted. He was. Because, <laughs> you know, he was. He was doing pretty good. He did a pretty good job. <laughs> Considering he's got a pretty big, like, snout, too. So I don't even know. He must have, like, had to bind it or something to fit in that duck mask. So he really went the he he was a method actor. He went the mile. But Dark was like, oh well, it's lucky we'll never get to do a side by side comparison because Herb Muddlefoot is miles away, just as Herb is crawling through like the Quackerware <laughs> doggy door. <laughs> He's trying to reason with the Quackerware to turn them away from their life of crime, and of course. Loman grabs him and holds him hostage with like a chomping quackerware container and uh, tells Darkwing to drop his gun and then he steals Herb's key 
to help himself to the endless supply of quackerware in the factory. Oh no! And he throws Herb into like a tiny little quackerware container and like runs off. <laughs> do his dastardly deeds. And then um, Darkwing gets attacked by quackerware and he kind of jumps off the van and then is getting attacked by quackerware on the ground and then he just kind of yells and they all <laughs> run away. <Yeah>. They scatter. <laughs> scatter at his battle cry i guess and then he wrestles with another bout of trying to open the quackerware that has herb in it and he does remember the rhyme this time but because the funny thing about darkwing is that nothing ever works for him it doesn't open until he sits on it and then it opens up and he gets launched across the warehouse but herb is free and herb and darkwing team up to take down loman at the quackerware factory a bit of attempted, like you know, because he they get there and Darkwing is pretending like you know he's there, like he's I don't know doing his Darkwing thing, and there's like a bit of attempted like manslaughter via forklift <laughs> because Loman's trying to kill him, and then you know circumstances happen and it's you know basically cartoon stuff. It takes like two seconds, and then Darkwing's like, oh well, we came to stop you. And then we see Herb is just standing on top of the racks of Quackerware. He's got Quackerware strapped all over him like armor, and he's throwing Quackerware at Loman, and he stubbed himself a one-man Quackerware defender. Loman scampers away, trying to make for his van, but Herb Tarzan swings into him, and then he and Darkwing just throw this guy into some machinery. It was so like, him. yeah, it was just like, let's just throw him in there. He's dead now. <laughs> Killing him for his crimes against Quackerware. <laughs> and Grizzly Cop shows up and demands to know where the culprit is. They're like, oh, he'll be, he's just about to come out the other end. And he's it's just him sitting in a big Quackerware bowl on the other side of the conveyor belt. So I don't really know what that machine's purpose is. But I was just like, oh, they just, they just murdered this man. But he's fine. And then Grizzly Cough just rolls him out of the factory. <laughs> and Darkwing and uh, Herb have a nice little moment. Oh, uh, Mr. Muddlefoot, I just saw Drake Mallard outside. <laughs> Good looking, Cass. And he wanted me to tell you something. Really? Yes, really. Drake said, like the hundred, hundred legs, legs on, on a centipede, we move forward in a great stampede. Even the other guys must concede. Quackerware salesmen are a special breed. Oh, that dragster. <laughs> what a guy. Herb is so touched, he wipes a tear of joy away from his face as he says, Oh, that dragster, what a guy. And then the credits roll. Beautiful. It was a perfect episode. 10 billion out of 10 on the Quackerware freshness scale. I feel like this one really, uh, you know... It doesn't get much attention. It kind of flies under the radar. And I think it's because usually what draws people into an episode and helps them remember it is the villains. And if the villains yeah. aren't super noteworthy, then the episodes tend to be ones that are overlooked. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like actual characterization for Drake, like you said, Drake has some really great moments in this episode that you don't really see for him. Because usually when we see Drake, it's usually in the form of him being a dad to Goslin and doing stay at home dad stuff. Yeah, she wasn't even in this episode at all. No, she was not. Just... We didn't get to see any kids. Or Binky. Yeah, there was no, no ladies in this episode other than the groupies. Yeah, so I mean, 
But in terms of what they did have, I thought it was quality. Yeah. And the animation was very nice, too. It was Disney Australia, which is generally um. considered one of the best studios that did Darkwing episodes. They also did Fungus Among Us. Mm. Yeah. Because the animation was really nice. There was a couple times where I'm like, this looks really good right now. Like, Darkwing was very dynamic and he was hitting a lot of good poses and Drake was just adorable. Like, the, the one lady who I think shuts his foot in the door, he kind of juggles the quackaway out, like, trying to impress her. And, but he's doing it with these giant sleeves on, so it's just, like, really awkward. But it was it was done so nicely. Yeah. Yeah. It was a fun story. It, felt, it never felt like... I don't know. I, um, again, I love Herb Muddlefoot, so I can't really comment too much on the quality of it because it's already a perfect episode in my mind. But I, I, yeah, I really like that even though Dark is just so, or, you know, Dark slash Drake are just completely annoyed with the Muddlefoots every time that they emerge, that he kind of wanted to learn from Herb in this one. And gain some respect for him, which again, you know, doesn't last beyond this episode, which is fine. It's like we're living in Herb's world see. this time around. Because usually when we see Herb, it's just from Drake's point of view of him being an annoying neighbor. And, you know, otherwise, like, we're, we're focusing on the crime fighting stuff. But this was very mm -hmm. much like, we are on Herb's turf now. This is his territory and his life. And we get to see what he does for a living. And he's damn good at it. He is. Door-to-door -door sales and sales in general is hard. So you gotta give him props. He's salesman of the decade. And for good reason, because he's he's damn charming. He's a good he's a good egg, that herb model fit. Because it really doesn't it doesn't hit any of the like there's really the, like there's no supervillain. Shush is very loosely involved, but as as far as like the part that from Loman who is the real villain of this episode, Grizzly Cough is the only other threat. And it's just basically follows Drake and Herb for easily like 80% of this episode, maybe even 90. So it's just purely these two characters that I don't think really ever get that much screen time together. They're usually just, you know, scenes here and there, not like the entire episode structured around them. But yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good. How would you rate it? I would give it a four out of five because, the, like you said, the animation is good. Everything about it is pretty good. I would just say in terms of villains and like Grizzly Cough, like not the most interesting villains, but they don't always have to be for an episode to be good. I mean, it helps, but it's just it's a solid episode. Like there's nothing I can really complain about or say that was really bad it was i'd say the only thing of course was just grizzly cough just sort of looming in the background in his ice cream van as like a threat <laughs> like there wasn't even any cutaways of like little kids trying to buy ice cream from him or anything he was just purely there to be a menace yeah good episode yeah so there we have it the kitty eats good today episode Let's find out if you're going to be eating good next week or if you're going to end up with... I know one of your throw it in the dumpster episodes is still on our wheel. Yeah, it's here. Somehow the wheel populated it on the red square. So that's appropriate. All right, here we go. Spinning. See what the cruel hand of fate has picked for us next week. Oh, not very cruel at all because next week we will be talking about In Like Blunt. Oh, that's a pretty good episode. 
I really like that one. That one I feel like I've watched a bunch. So I won't have the feeling of, oh, this is an episode I haven't seen before. Like, I don't remember the last time I watched The Merchant of Menace. Like, so basically watching this was like watching it for the first time. But I definitely have watched In Lake Blunt before enough times that I'm smiling right now thinking about certain parts of it. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> so that's exciting. All right, cool. So In Lake Blunt next time. Sadly, there is not a Muddlefoot in sight in that episode. And I don't even think we get Goslin in that one either. Uh, yeah, I don't know. She might make a, a little cameo, but... Appearance. Yeah. But there, oh, another Shush one. So there we go. It's a Shush Central over here on Sleepless in Shush Canard. But there we go. We have exciting things on the horizon, comic book-wise, merchandise-wise, and Derek Blunt-wise. So until then, dearest listeners, please remember that like the hundred legs of a centipede, we've moved forward with a great stampede. Even the other guys must concede that quackware salesmen are a special breed. That's what I was going to say, too. <laughs> <laughs>